Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Best and Worst of the Weekend. Most of this hour is reserved for your phone calls. Joe Person of The Athletic Carolina is going to drop by. He spent last week much of it in Indianapolis covering the NFL Combine. The collective bargaining agreement, of course, got a chance to chat with the Panthers' first-year head coach, Matt Rule. Nothing is off the table, Matt Rule said. As most are wondering about Cam Newton's future, Matt Rule's nothing is off the table comments got some wondering, man, would they really just trade Christian McCaffrey, the popular, productive, dual-threat running back, because they may be in some kind of a rebuilding mode rather than follow through on a big money contract extension for at least one of the guys who remains the face of the franchise with so many of those other faces having either retired or been traded or moved on in some other form or fashion. Joining us now to discuss all things NFL is one of our favorites from that corner of the sports universe. Find his work at theathletic.com and The Athletic Carolina on the National Football League. Joe Person, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I hope you are. Doing very well. Uh, excited about that March Madness thing that has been a part of your responsibilities, maybe in another branch of your journalistic life. But before we dive into the Panthers st specifics, let me ask you about the collective bargaining agreement, which could give NFL fans 11 more years of labor peace. I don't know if you saw Nate Solder's comments after Russell Wilson and J.J. Watt and, and Aaron Rodgers and some other really big names said they're going to vote no. Nate Solder said, listen, man, the guys who don't have a lot of social media followers, I have asked many of them whether they would accept a 17th regular season game if their benefits were better, if there were more jobs, if our percentage of the revenue went up. And he said almost all of them say yes. So he thinks the silent majority is going to carry the day here. What is your educated guess on whether the 2,000-plus members of the NFLPA are going to vote yes on this deal that the owners have already approved? Yeah, you know, that's kind of my sense, too, in, in talking with some, some folks who are a little farther down the Panthers roster, for instance. You know, I think they, they feel that, yeah, listen, there's no such thing as a perfect CBA, but, you know, it's a give-and-take process. But I think, I think most of the guys I've talked to sort of are okay with where it is. No, no one's crazy about the 17th game. And, you know, is that a Pandora's box to 18? Uh, you know, that that uh, remains pretty much a point of contention across the board. But as I said, it's a give-and-take deal, and, and, you know, the owners have, have given back a little bit. Uh, the revenues, as you mentioned, they've made concessions where the drug testing policy uh, is, is at hand. As well as kind of again uh, more of a reduction in practices, both in the preseason and restrictions in the regular season, and even when guys can and need to be in the building in the off season. So, yeah, I get. I, I've I've seen all the same tweets you have. I actually had not seen Soldiers, but I, I I think his sentiment is probably pretty close to it that. That the, uh, that, that the guys we don't hear about uh, may, in fact, carry the day. Last thing on that, the current collective bargaining agreement rules do have one more year to run, which causes some to say, well, what's the big deal? 
Would you be concerned as an NFL fan if this deal did not get done? Uh, I know the NFL, you know, wants peace and, and long-term peace so they can get into, you know, discussions with their TV partners and just move on to a lot of other business. Should NFL fans have any reason for concern if they do not read in the coming days or weeks that there is this new 11-year deal all the way through 2030? I don't think so. I mean, listen, that they, you know, uh, uh, ten years ago, as you know, they, they they had the lockout, no games were lost. I mean, I, mean, I think we could see something like that uh, again. But I, I, I think both sides understand that uh, that nobody wants a work stoppage, and no one's wants no one wants neither side wants games lost. And so, yeah, while it would be. Uh, in an ideal world, it would be would be terrific to have this thing wrapped up ahead of 2020 season. I don't think I don't think it necessarily is uh, it bodes ominously if if they don't. Check out the Athletic Carolina Joe and his colleague Jordan Rodriguez, another recent guest of ours, have a post saying, among other things, we learned the most about the Panthers behind the scenes in Indianapolis. A lot of really good insightful updates on free agent cornerback James Bradbury, a guy who wants a new deal in running back Christian McCaffrey, the offensive line, the defensive line, and a lot of other things. Check that out at The Athletic Carolina. With that trip to Indianapolis in mind, what was maybe the most important thing that you learned from Matt Rule or anybody else, given I know you asked about McCaffrey, I know you asked about Cam Newton. Uh, hard answers are tough to come by on all this stuff, but what was uh, you know your top takeaway or two? Probably, as you said, because there is so much kind of gray area where Cam and, and McCaffrey are concerned, you know, I'm like you. I'm kind of a news hound, and the, the fact that Jordan and I were able to get some harder answers, more con- concrete answers in terms of, one, the Panthers not being willing to meet James Bradbury's price, at least where it is now, where he's looking to be paid one of the – as one of the high, the highest paid corners in the league, which puts it right around 15 million, just below what a, a franchise tag would be at 16 million. Uh, they're not going to do either of those things, from from what I was told, what we were told, uh, and and just depending on the market. I mean, Ron Rivera in Washington needs a, <laughs> it would be a bit ironic if if James Bradbury ends up replacing Josh Norman uh, in two different markets, which could could certainly be the case if the Redskins are, are willing to open their wallets uh, for, for James Bradbury. And then, and then guys more like Dontari Poe, uh, their, their nose tackle, this, he may not have the cachet of a Cam Newton, or certainly doesn't, uh, of McCaffrey or Cam. But uh, he, also, he also counts $9.8 million against the cap. So those are real dollars, and I was told the Panthers are not expected to pick up his option year. Uh, which which is obviously this year, so that that creates a little more money as as the Panthers, you know, kind of massage the cap. They're in pretty good cap space, and they're in really good cap cap situation in future years because so many of those guys they brought in last year, Bruce Irvin, Daryl McCoy, um, Daryl Williams, all on one year deals. So they don't really, uh, you know, with Cam coming off, regardless of what he does this year what they do with Cam this year. You know, there's, there's very few people under contract, very few players under contract for the, for the Panthers in 2021. 
And so, and that, and that's all part of it. And and maybe we don't discuss that enough, but you know, from a financial standpoint, it you know the the deck has kind of been wiped clean financially and cap wise for for Matt Rule and Marty Herney and uh, the new folks in the front office to do as they see please. Joe Person joining us. Remember, if you follow him on Twitter, it's kind of that longer version, the way our mother or grandmother would refer to us. It's at Joseph Person <laughs> on Twitter, online at The Athletic and The Athletic Carolina. Uh, you wrote a lot about Matt Rule's coaching staff, so you don't have to give us all of those details, but give us a sense. For a while, he talked about, or you reported anyway, maybe he mentioned it out loud, I'm not sure, that, that he thought originally about adding somebody with head coaching experience. And as he went through the process, I think there was a reference in the article by you and Jordan to, to like the, the fraternity brotherhood, you know, that right. a lot of, number one, there's NFL staffs have even more people than I remembered them having. Yeah, uh, full-time and all the rest uh but just give us a sense of why he landed where he did since uh you guys got him to talk about that a little bit in in indianapolis yeah that's a great question and and again it's not necessarily one that we've broken down at great length yet in the athletic but i thought that he would be that rule would be well advised to get someone on his staff had been an NFL head coach. They, 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 it's a young staff, as you mentioned. There are a handful of guys who have NFL experience. No one, you know, Al Holcomb was, is the only guy who's been a coordinator at the NFL level, and that was only for one year in Arizona for Steve Wilkes before they got blown up. So the point being, and it's one I, I've, I've heard Ron Rivera make a lot, is that he had, if he had to do it over again, he would have had um, a, head, a, a guy with head coaching experience on his first staff. Of course, he later did with, with the likes of North Turner, et cetera. But, you know, by then, Rivera had to learn, had already learned things kind of the hard way in some, in, in some respects. So Rule's defense, or Rule, Rule's explanation, rather, is that he has two trusted sources, Hall of Fame coaches in Dick Vermeil and Tom Coughlin, I was a little unclear how he how how he knows what me. I'm assuming it's through his like the time in Temple, yeah, and probably, Philly and all that. Uh, but but Coughlin, he spent one year on Coughlin's staff. That's fun, and that's that's great. You can call those guys up, and and I, I, I don't discount that resource. But I think there's also a benefit to having a guy right down the hall that can you know kind of guide you through the, some of the potential landmines in your first year or two as an NFL head coach. Last thing for you, I thought one of the really neat stories or articles that you did this past season, uh, I think it was this past season, was when you followed Greg Olson into his broadcasting experience, whenever that was. Uh, mm-hmm. I mentioned that because one of the weekend headlines in the NFL was Tony Romo turning down ESPN and staying at CBS reportedly for, brace yourself, $17 million a year in a three-year deal that has some kind of option that could make it a much longer deal. I looked it up, Joe. In only one of his 14 NFL seasons playing for the Cowboys did he make significantly more than he's about to make annually from CBS as a broadcaster. To what degree, you've talked with TV executives. We all know NFL folks uh, lean heavily on the just the money they get because this is still America's most popular sport. 
I guess we're to the point. I saw some NFL players tweeting about, you know, wait, Romo's getting what? Uh, we're to the point where TV is so powerful that I guess if you bring in enough viewers with your expert analysis, you can be worth more than 90-some percent of the players out there? Yeah, and I've, you know, I saw some of those, well, some of that same reaction. Here's the thing is if CBS is in, in strong enough financial shape, uh, uh, and name any other network you want to, to, to make that kind of commitment to Tony Romo, then don't you think that, that, that in those next TV dealings, they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to blow the roof off of whatever the numbers were yeah. for, for broadcast rights in this next CBA, which in turn is going to, or at least should, benefit the players uh, in, in the short term and in the long term. So, yeah, yeah I get it. It, it. You know, it's, it, is, it is ridiculous money, and I'm sure Greg Olson and his representatives are sort of licking their chops for, for whenever uh, next year at this time when he's in the market himself. You know, I had reported that he had uh, a major network already interested him in him for a marquee type job. I'm not saying it was necessarily the Monday Night Football right. job, but but big time job. So it, it, it's crazy money. But it, and until we quit watching, you know, until there's and there's not the advertisers aren't willing to pay what they do for the ridiculous Super Bowl spots, then I think it's just a, a never ending cycle. Well put. Joe Person on Twitter at Joseph Person Online, The Athletic Carolina. Good work from Indianapolis, man. Thanks, as always, for stopping by the David Glenn Show. Appreciate you, man. Have a good week. Right back at you. Joe Person on the NFL. Best and worst of the weekend phone calls continue. The Keith LeClaire Classic was a baseball tournament in Greenville. The Pirates did not win as many games as they hoped to. But they raised a lot of money again for a really good cause. Excellent baseball team at ECU this year. Similar teams at places like Duke and Carolina and Wake and certainly NC State already celebrated as a best of the weekend. Elliott Avent's team went to Big Ten country and came back with three more wins. They still haven't lost the baseball Wolfpack. Pack 9, if you will, 11-0, and 0, another best of the weekend. Most of those votes, by the way, from the NBA, LeBron James, Zion Williamson, Giannis Antetokounmpo visited Charlotte and dominated with his Milwaukee Bucks, 41 points and 20, re 20 rebounds as the Bucks beat the Hornets in the Queen City. They also took out Oklahoma City this weekend, 133-86. Milwaukee now 52-8. and There have been only two 70-win teams in NBA history. The Bucks are trending toward making a run at being the third. Ja Morant was great for Memphis this weekend. The Rockets, the Nuggets, the Clippers, uh, the Bucks all had really good victories this weekend in the NBA. In college hoops, the Wolfpack had to beat Pitt and did. That was good enough for best of the weekend votes left and right. The Pack visits Duke tonight. The Devils joined the Carolina Hurricanes as the leading vote-getters for worst of the weekend. It wasn't just the loss at UVA. 52-50 to 50 to a Cavaliers team that earlier today launched itself into the AP Top 25. It's really the three out of four losses for the Blue Devils at NC State, at Wake, at UVA, as Duke hosts the Wolfpack tonight. What do you expect to see from the Devils? What do you expect to see from the Wolfpack? Can State get the sweep 
of Duke that it would need to certainly catapult itself to the right side of the NCAA tournament bubble. The pack, of course, was not the only best of the weekend from college basketball. UVA over Duke. Clemson over number six FSU. Brad Brownell of the Tigers, our guest a little bit earlier. Carolina won at Syracuse. Wake Forest followed up a win over Duke with a win over a desperate Notre Dame team in Winston-Salem. Olivier Saar with 30 and 17. The Tar Heels were led by Cole Anthony and Garrison Brooks, who went months without having good games in the same game, and now they seem to be doing it somewhat regularly. Good sign for the Tar Heels as the regular season was long ago lost, but playing much better basketball as that trip to Greensboro looms a little bit more than one week from today. What was your best of the weekend? What was your worst of the weekend and what made it that? 1-800-849-2761. More of my examples as I stuffed the ballot box with more of yours. 1-800-849-2761. Brad Brownell of Clemson and Joe Person of The Athletic in the books. That means more of your phone calls. Best of the weekend, worst of the weekend, and otherwise. 1-800-849-2761. You can be next on The David Glenn Show. Ruffin McNeil, welcome back. I know we'll always be a huge part of you and your family. You know, this will be my last coaching stop after this. Yeah, maybe join you on a radio show or Amen. do some of that. Yeah. We'll, but, be, we'll uh, be doing some remote shows from your boat in the middle of the Caribbean somewhere <laughs> if I have my way. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Best and Worst of the Weekend. You can be next. Two guests in the books. Clemson basketball was a best of the weekend. They beat Duke earlier this year. They beat Louisville earlier this year. They beat Florida State this weekend in Little John. 70-69 Tigers over Seminoles. Three wins over top seven opponents for the first time at Clemson since 1980. That's why Brad Brownell was our guest. That's why he and his Tigers were a best of the weekend. Joe Person on the NFL, also in the books. You can chime in with your question or comment. The Wolfpack visits Duke tonight as nobody gets to take a breath. Of course, the Pack beat Pitt, taking care of business at home over the lower division Panthers, winning the games you're supposed to win. Nobody would describe a trip to Duke as one of those you're supposed to win, but the Wolfpack still firmly on the bubble. ESPN's Joe Lenardi, who will be among our guests later this week, one of the longest term and most accurate bracketologists of all. Uh, he's going to join us Wednesday. Joe has NC State right now not only among his first four out, meaning slightly on the wrong side of the bubble, but first among the first four out, the first team on the bubble. And some have asked, and it's not a bad question, how do you go from barely on the right side of Joe's or anybody else's bubble going into the weekend, and then you win, and then come Monday, you're on the wrong side of the bubble? Well, it's a great reminder of something that might sound illogical to you, but it's an important reminder about how this stuff works. When you beat Pitt and you're supposed to do that, you're defending your resume. You're not damaging it, but you're not really upgrading it by beating somebody who's going to finish in the bottom third of the ACC. Meanwhile, and this is what's easy to forget, what everybody else does matters. So if Stanford was near you on the bubble and Stanford this weekend took out a top 25 Colorado team, 
Well, then somebody slightly behind you can be slightly in front of you, even coming out of a weekend where you both posted victories. You have to keep that in mind. It's not just what you do. It's what others do as well. Shaka Smart and Texas went to a top 25 Texas Tech team and got a much-needed victory. The Longhorns are actually still behind the Wolfpack in the pecking order, but it's just another reminder, Oklahoma went to West Virginia and won. A lot of these bubble teams got big victories on the same weekend where the Wolfpack got only a taking care of business. You're supposed to beat Pitt at home, and that's what you did. Yes, that's good, but it's not as good as what some of those near you did this weekend. Duke, of course, is looking for revenge tonight. Quick reminder as we go to Steve in Wilmington and you, what was the best thing you saw? What was the worst thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe since we were last together on Friday? And what made it that? As we contemplate tonight's matchup in Durham, the rematch, after the Wolfpack, remember, not only beat the Devils, it was 88-66 at PNC. Do you remember what the number one takeaway from that game was? It wasn't all that long ago, but we can all forget such things. The same factor that was an alarm bell for the Blue Devils was the bedrock for the Wolfpack. In other words, experience or lack thereof was what defined State Duke Part 1. And the reality was senior guard Markel Johnson had one of his best games of his whole career. Career-high 28 points against the Blue Devils in that 22-point Wolfpack victory. Nine rebounds. How about four assists and only one turnover against a guy, Trey Jones of Duke, who just today was added to another awards watch list. Or more specifically, they're now narrowing down like the Bob Cousy Point Guard of the Year Award. Trey Jones is one of five finalists for that. Have you seen Devon Dotson of Kansas? He's on the list. Marcus Howard of Steve Wojciechowski's Marquette team. He's one of the five finalists. Peyton Pritchard of Oregon. Uh, Malachi Flynn of San Diego State, a top five team from a little bit off the beaten path. Trey Jones is one of five finalists for the Bob Cousy Point Guard of the Year Award. Trey Jones is also one of ten semifinalists for the National Naismith Defensive Player of the Year Award. That's not just point guards. That's all defensive players. The only two ACC guys who are finalists or semifinalists, I guess they call them for that, UVA forward Mamadi Diakite and Trey Jones of Duke. They're the only two ACC guys on that list of 10 semifinalists. Well, against that guy, not every possession, but much of the time, Markel Johnson had one of the best games of his life, and he was that good as it was Wolfpack 88, Duke 66. Junior guard Devin Daniels had a career-high 25 in that game. Junior forward DJ Funderburk had 21 points and nine rebounds and three steals. So three of your most experienced players were three of your best players, or maybe your three best, on the same night where Mike Krzyzewski, remember, talked about this isn't an Xbox game, this is a human being game, and my guys aren't playing old enough. We still look young too often in these sorts of games, he said that again when they got blistered by 22 at NC State. It was the Wolfpack's largest margin of victory over a top 10 opponent since before most of us were born. And it was the Blue Devils' largest margin of defeat to an unranked opponent ever against Mike under Mike Krzyzewski. That's how unbelievable and historic that state win over the Blue Devils was. Now it's a chance for revenge for the Blue Devils. Obviously, Duke, in a sense has seeding at stake while the Wolfpack has, you know, an NCAA bid kind of hanging in the balance. They're not dead if they lose. 
but they may have assured themselves of a bid if they win. So NC State gets that whack at the pinata tonight at Cameron Indoor Stadium. The bottom line from Duke's perspective is that Trey Jones and Vernon Carey Jr. need more help. The youth and inexperience was directly responsible for that embarrassing loss at NC State. Trey Jones and Vernon Carey Jr. are going to be there again tonight. They did their jobs well, even in a loss at UVA this weekend. Not enough help. Which Cassius Stanley will show up? Which Matthew Hurt will show up? Which Wendell Moore Jr. will show up? That not only will impact what happens tonight, 7 o'clock ESPN, that'll help define the rest of the Blue Devil season. Because with those guys, everything is possible. All the good things you would want to happen remain reachable for the Blue Devils if those other freshmen are the better versions of themselves. If those guys don't come along, man, and as Coach K himself says, it's getting late in the game, really late in the game. You've played 30 games essentially at this point. You're not allowed to be freshmen anymore is the way Coach K puts it basically. Without those guys being better versions of themselves, the Blue Devils are highly at risk for one of those embarrassing opening weekend losses. That's just the reality. And yes, you can say that about a team that spent a lot of time in the national top 10 and today even was number 12 in the AP poll. 1-800-849-2761. I mentioned the brilliance of college baseball across our statewide listening audience nc state 11 and 0 a bunch of others nationally ranked in the top 25 Stephen wilmington has one more example of our baseball brilliance welcome to the david glenn show go right ahead well i thank you dg and uh best to you and darren hope you guys are doing well doing great man what's on your mind well i just had the privilege in honor of brown uh, brad brownell who used to coach down here at UT. UNC Wilmington, uh, and we still revere him down here. Uh, I had the privilege of going to Kentucky and calling the three games at UK this weekend with UNCW, and I'll tell you, not only did they sweep the Wildcats, but they shut them out for the first 20 innings of the series. Wow. And won 8 nothing, 3 nothing, and then 7-4. to four. And uh, like, and I hate to do this because we're so early in the season, like the Coastal Carolina magic of 2016 i think this team has some real possibilities that they keep their heads together yeah and this is a great traditionally strong program unc wilmington baseball obviously in the process of a coaching transition as a legend stepped away just last year right so yeah we've got whenever march madness winds down you know and we turn the page to things like the nba playoffs and the nhl playoffs and majors in golf starting with the masters in april in our neighborhood this year man we got ECU baseball, State Duke and Carolina, Wake, UNC Wilmington, and others. I think right now our state has five teams in the national top 25 of most of the polls. Thanks for chiming in from the beach, Stephen Wilmington. You can be next at 1-800-849-2761. Whereas it is rarely controversial when you as a sports program attach yourself to a cause. I think it was just today that NC State football, for example, put out a release about a partnership with a place called GG's Playhouse. Now, if you're NC State football and you're helping raise money for this great cause, it's just kind of extending NC State football's kind of philanthropic efforts in a more general sense. They have a lot of partners, but one of them this year is GG's Playhouse, right? So you're partnering with a Downs Syndrome Achievement Center. I imagine that there's no pushback if you're partnering with Gigi's Playhouse. 
I don't think there's anybody who goes to sleep or gets up in the morning saying, ah, man, I can't believe they're partnering with a Downs Syndrome Achievement Center. Similarly, whereas the ECU Pirates did not win as many baseball games as they had hoped under their great coach Cliff Godwin this weekend, in the Keith LeClaire Classic, remember Coach Godwin played for the late legendary ECU baseball coach Keith LeClaire, and every year they have this baseball tournament. Top 25 Ole Miss from the SEC was a part of it in Greenville this weekend. Pirates ended up losing two out of three games, but I imagine that nobody complains if you partner with the battle against those who fight or, or raise money for research in the battle against ALS. Keith LeClaire, of course, died of complications related to ALS, one of the legends of ECU sports, uh, for that matter, much less ECU baseball. So the Pirates have another great team. The Pirates had another Keith LeClaire classic. They have a lot of really cool things that they do uh, as a part of that, including like the players will grow out their mustaches, kind of like a Movember type thing that you see in hockey and in other contexts. I believe the last I saw, the five-year total – for ECU baseball with the various branches, including the games that they just played this weekend in Greenville. Five-year total, they've raised more than $50,000 in the fight against ALS. Again, I can't imagine that anybody fights that, right? It's just another partnership in the sports world that people celebrate. When the Carolina Hurricanes had a pride night on Friday, and I happened to be there, as you might guess, 90% of people were on board for the idea that hockey is for everyone, right? Pride night. Just people celebrating who they are. Well, 2020 remains strange times here in the United States of America, and there was a minority of people who did not like that partnership and pushed back on the idea that there should be or could be or would be a pride night for any sports team, professional or otherwise. Now, I was there. It was a great night of hockey. 3-2, avalanche over Canes. Colorado is a really, really, really good team. So you got to see the Canes at home. You got to see a really full, energetic house at PNC Arena. You got to see high-level hockey. And best I could tell, in and around the arena, there was no negative vibe whatsoever. On social media, of course, when the Canes asked people to share their stories, LGBT and otherwise, 90% of people shared their personal stories and why a pride night like this was something special to them for this reason or that. There's always got to be the naysayers, right? And whereas those other partnerships among dozens and hundreds of others didn't get anybody's feathers aflutter, this one did. And there was the pushback. And it was my worst of the weekend because, in my eyes, the Canes were celebrating people for who they are. And those who were pushing back, I think, in many cases, were demeaning people for who they are. That, to me, is a worst of the weekend. I ended up not getting one of those rainbow-colored scarves. I'm kind of disappointed. I learned as I walked in that because I'm a season ticket holder, I didn't purchase that particular package. But I'd have worn the rainbow scarf. I otherwise celebrated Pride Night uh, as I took in the Avalanche Canes game. Disappointing to me that folks can't see the difference. Some of them even called the Canes hypocritical. They say that you're asking for tolerance and inclusion, but criticizing anybody who is not on board with Pride Night. And that, that might 
make logical sense to who knows some percentage of my statewide audience here in North Carolina. But I don't find it difficult to separate the Canes celebrating people for who they are and others demeaning people for who they are. If you can't see the difference between those two things, maybe I can't help you. A lot of people may have been raised by bigoted parents. A lot of people go to churches that have been so disgracefully wrong so often on social issues throughout history that, frankly, they should be embarrassed. The idea that some of those same churches are still teaching some of the same hateful messages so that you just can't let people celebrate themselves and each other for who they are. To me, as a Christian, if your church is teaching you hateful messages about them or anybody else, you're doing it wrong. And that, for me, was the worst of the weekend. 1-800-849-2761. The game itself, the way the Canes approached it, genuinely, authentically, with love in their hearts, celebrate people for who they are. I think we need more examples of that, man. You're proud to be Irish? I'm on board. St. Patrick's Day? Woohoo! I'm part Irish, too. Celebrate people for who they are. We need more examples of that and fewer examples of demeaning people for who they are. If you're on that side of the fence, you're not on my team. If you're on the Pride Night side of the fence, I am happy to join you. We are back after this on the David Glenn Show. Davo Sweeney, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Yeah, How man. are you, man? Good to see you. It's great to How see you. you. I saw that you took your family to Italy. It was unbelievable to go to Rome and to stand at the Coliseum that was built in 80, 80. <laughs> Eight zero. The original Death Valley. You know, literally. This is the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. What kind of bump music is that, Darren Vaughn? This is De La Soul. I didn't recognize that one. I, don't, I haven't used this one often. I, I maybe a handful Man, of times. that's taking me back to, like, Grandmaster Flash in the 1970s or 80s. Well, I'm sure what that was. Last call for phone calls, best and worst of the weekend style. You can be next by dialing 1-800-849-2761. I was disappointed that Pride Night had a negative element. Feel free to disagree. Just remember that if you are demeaning people for who they are, I will view you differently than if you are joining the Canes or anybody else for celebrating people for who they are. That's what Pride Night was all about. And I think folks who have a misunderstanding about how this stuff works, you know, what is tolerance, what is uh, a celebration of inclusion, and why am I, because I have a difference of opinion, why do I get excluded from this conversation about Pride Night or anything else? Most people, I think, understand that the world works this way, but I'll just rem remind everybody, free legal advice. It won't cost you $1,000 an hour here at the David Glenn Show. As we come to your last series of calls, what was the best thing you saw? What was the worst thing you saw And as we just, this weekend in sports? And as we look forward to Duke hosting NC State tonight, 7 o'clock game on ESPN. If you worked for me, this is what a lot of people who called it a worst of the weekend that the Canes had a pride night on Friday – it's funny, they don't, they, they say stick to sports, right? But then if it's Military Appreciation Day, that's great. If it's 10 other themes, that great, that's great. They, they don't seem to mind that there's a different theme, but all of a sudden it's Pride Night, and all of a sudden the same people who weren't bothered by a variety of other promotions, all of a sudden they're very bothered by Pride Night. You are telling on yourself when you do that, 
and I am not at all hesitant or apologetic for being the one, perhaps the only one, to point out that you are telling on yourself when you do that. Here's a reminder from the real world for those of you suggesting a double standard. I own a company. If you came to work wearing a rainbow Pride Night t-shirt, and my dress code allowed a variety or whatever, and it wasn't otherwise prohibited, that would be no problem. If you came to work cursing the LGBT people around you because of their rainbow t-shirt, I would fire you and you would have no legal recourse. It is not a double standard. It is the difference between someone celebrating themselves or others for who they are and you choosing to demean or degrade or belittle somebody else for who they are. I have a legal obligation to create a healthy, safe workplace. And that person wearing a rainbow t-shirt ain't bothering anybody. They're not in your face. If you want to go a thousand miles out of your way and tell you that the, tell people that the rainbow is blinding you somehow or hurting your feelings, you can try that, but nobody's going to take you seriously, nor should we. If you go to that same office place and you're the one spouting hateful stuff because of some caveman Christian version of the universe, you will be fired, and if you tried to sue me, you'd lose. That's how the real world works. It's not a double standard. It's the difference between people celebrating themselves or others for who they are and others demeaning, degrading, belittling people for who they are. I have a legal obligation to not let some of my employees demean and degrade others of my employees for whatever reason, not just orientation, a dozen other reasons. If you want to be the person who demeans and degrades, you might call it a double standard, you might call it hypocrisy, but I'm telling you the legal world suggests otherwise, the employment world suggests otherwise, and I'm frankly glad that the Carolina Hurricanes see it otherwise as well. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Back to the on-the-court stuff as we welcome a final round of phone calls. 1-800-849-2761. The bottom line for Duke is this. Your ceiling remains high, but you are swimming upstream in one sense. All of Coach K's five national championship teams were building into something special by the month of February, much less the month of March. If you looked back at all five of those NCAA title teams, they rarely lost after January, and when they did lose, it was almost always to a top 25 opponent. It's not like they just steamrolled everybody after January and cut down the nets you know, while going unbeaten in February and unbeaten in March. No, it's never that simple or rarely that simple. But all of those teams were more dominant teams in the ACC regular season than this group is. Three losses in their last four games for the Blue Devils, all on the road, all two unranked at the time opponents. Those other Duke teams were finding themselves and coming together especially by March, but, but in most cases by February. Maybe they would lose. I remember one year Duke got crushed by UNC at the ACC tournament, but turned around and won the national championship. I mean, who got the last laugh there? But it was a ranked Carolina team. I remember another year it was a dominant Gary Williams team that beat the Blue Devils, but it was a ranked Maryland team. There are no alarm bells when you lose, even in February or March, to another great team as you're contemplating the bigger bracket. 
there are alarm bells when you lose to unranked opponents, when your freshmen sometimes are strong at home, but sometimes invisible on the road. At NC, at NC State, at Wake Forest, and at UVA, the three losses for Duke. At UVA, not an alarm bell. Need to play better, but a lot of teams are going to lose at UVA. At State by 22, at Wake by double digits, those are different animals. And those are the ones that had Coach K talking about his team needing to play, quote, older, needing to grow up by this point in the regular season. That'll be a theme I'm watching tonight. Do I expect State to sweep the Blue Devils? No, I do not. Do they have a chance? Well, if their veterans play great, Markel Johnson, Devin Daniels, DJ Funderburk, the stars in that win at P PNC Arena not too long ago, and the Blue Devils' only freshman who plays well is Vernon Carey Jr., well, yeah, we could see a similar script unfold tonight in front of the Cameron Crazies. That's not a likely script. Cassius Stanley in particular. Matthew Hurt has been really kind of Jekyll and Hyde. In big games at home, sometimes he's good. In other big games on the road, he's rarely been good. You can't be doing that by the month of March, even if you're still technically a freshman. Wendell Moore Jr., remember, was a guy who was comfortable enough in Chapel Hill to be one of the Blue Devils' stars and even the guy who hit the game-winning bucket at the Smith Center. That version of Wendell Moore Jr. or the stroking three-pointers, diving for loose balls version of Matthew Hurt. Cassius Stanley, to me, is the best of those three. Cassius Stanley, at his best, belongs on the 15-man all All-ACC team. He's that good, even as a freshman. But he's ridden the roller coaster enough. He may not make that team the way Trey Jones will, the way Vernon Carey Jr. will. Those guys probably on the first team. He probably won't make it Cassius Stanley because the, the variation between what he is at his best and what he is, you know, I think one for nine at UVA or really another poor game at NC State earlier this year when the Blue Devils lost by 22. Those variations have to decrease. The NCAA tournament and the ACC tournament are, of course, played on neutral at neutral sites. So maybe the variation lessens just because of that. We'll learn more about the freshman factor at Duke when State visits the Devils tonight. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. Throwback Justice League. You know, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, Aquaman. If there was a combine event where you had to talk to marine life, Aquaman is your guy. Zay Jones is dominating the three-cone drill. Aquaman is dominating the talk to porpoises drill. This is the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch they come. Thanks to Clemson coach Brad Brownell for dropping by. Joe Person from The Athletic Carolina on all things NFL. It is a light TV tonight, light TV night tonight in the sports world. NC State visits Duke as discussed, 7 o'clock ESPN. The nightcap there will be the Big 12 battle. Good teams, Texas Tech at Baylor. A UConn women's game on ESPN2. Bucks Heat on NBA TV. Avalanche Detroit on the NHL Network. Spring training baseball too. Enjoy, we'll see you tomorrow. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.